We praise the Lord tonight for his amazing grace, beloved. Uh, as we heard this morning from Romans 5, his grace that is super abundant poured out to us in our Lord Jesus, our resurrected Lord Jesus. Uh, in case you haven't noticed, I am not Pastor Barnes, and uh, it is a real joy to be able to be with you here tonight. And uh, it is, uh, my name is Mark Richline, I am uh, Sabrina Sato's father, and I've been a pastor in the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, the OPC, uh, for a number of years, and since 2012, uh, myself and my wife and our family have been serving the Lord in Montevideo, Uruguay, uh, church planting in that way. And we've been blessed to be able to be back together with a family uh, for some time now and uh, really rejoice to be able to welcome our little granddaughter, Esther, uh, into their arms, our arms, and uh, into Christ and his church. What a joy for me. Thank you for having me uh, come tonight to lead you in worship and to uh, place the sign and seal of the covenant of grace on my little grandgirl. Beloved, receive uh, the Lord's call to worship tonight from Psalm 103. Calling us to remember, uh, to continually remember the benefits that we receive uh, that bring us uh, the peace and joy we have in Christ. Praise the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Meditating on these wonderful truths, let's prepare our hearts for worship. The Lord will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, small and great. Beloved, hear now his greeting. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you stand together with me and turn to, uh, we're going to sing the song that we just heard, Psalm 103, letter E. O come, my soul, bless thou the Lord.
We're going to gather uh, with one heart and voice, confess uh, the faith that is taught to us in the Word of God, the faith that we hold so dear. And we're going to be using the historic Nicene Creed, found on page 852 in your Psalter uh, hymnal. And uh, it's most appropriate uh, to use this creed, especially today, uh, celebrating uh, especially uh, the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, our Lord Jesus, as uh, we will be saying how we believe and trust only in him for our salvation. Christian, what is it you believe? I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven, and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary, and was made man, and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And the third day he rose again, according to the scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and sits on the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge the living and the dead whose kingdom shall have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead, and the life of the world to come. Amen. Amen. We come to a blessed time in our service of um, bringing uh, little Esther Sato uh, into God's covenant and into Christ and his church through baptism. I'm going to invite uh, Joseph and Sabrina and uh, Esther to come forward at this time and Elder Jack Heemstra as well, their elder. I'm going to have you stand back here about. Blessed congregation of our Lord Jesus, uh, what the Lord revealed to us in his word about holy baptism uh, can be summarized this way. 
First, baptism teaches that we and our children are conceived and born in sin. This means that we are, by nature, children of wrath. And for that reason, cannot be members of Christ's kingdom unless we are born again. Baptism, whether by immersion or sprinkling, teaches that sin has made us so impure that we must undergo a cleansing which only God can accomplish. By this, we are admonished to detest ourselves, humble ourselves before God, and turn to him for the cleansing of our salvation. Second, baptism signifies and seals to us the washing away of our sins through Jesus Christ. And for this reason, we are baptized into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. When we are baptized into the name of the Father, God the Father testifies and seals to us that he makes an eternal covenant of grace with us and adopts us as his children and heirs. Therefore, he promises to provide us with everything good and protect us from all evil or turn it to our profit. When we are baptized into the name of the Son, God the Son seals to us that he washes us in his blood from all our sins. Christ unites us to himself so that we share in his death and resurrection. Uh, Through this union with Christ, we are freed from our sins and accounted righteous before God. When we are baptized into the name of the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit assures us by this holy sacrament that he will make his home within us and will sanctify us as members of Christ. He will impart to us what we have in Christ, namely the washing away of our sins and the daily renewing of our lives. As a result of his work within us, we will finally be presented without the stain of sin among the assembly of all the saints in eternal life. Third, the covenant of grace contains both promises and obligations. Having considered the promises, we now think about the obligations. As through baptism, God calls us and places us under obligation to live in new obedience to him. Uh, This means that we must cling to this one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We must trust in him and love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We must renounce the sinful way of life. We must put to death our old nature and show by our lives that we belong to God. If we, through weakness, should fall into sin, we must not despair of God's mercy nor use our weakness as an excuse to keep sinning. A baptism is a seal and a totally reliable witness that we have an eternal covenant with God. Our children should not be excluded from baptism because of their inability to understand all these things. Just as, without their knowledge, um, they share in Adam's condemnation, so are they, without their knowledge, received to grace in Christ. God's gracious attitude toward us and to our children is revealed in what he said to Abraham, uh, the father of all believers, when he said, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you, throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. The Apostle Peter also testifies to this with these words, for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. 
Therefore, God formally commanded that children be circumcised as a seal, that children are a seal of the covenant and of the righteousness that comes by faith. Uh, Christ also recognized that children are members of the covenant uh, when he embraced them, when he laid his hands on them, when he blessed them. And since baptism has replaced circumcision as the sign and seal of the covenant, our children should be baptized as heirs of God's kingdom and his covenant. As children grow up, their parents are responsible for teaching them the meaning of baptism. In order that we uh, may now administer the sign and seal of grace, we're going to uh, seek the Lord in prayer and seek his blessing in our time together. Let's pray. Our almighty eternal God, long ago, you severely punished an unbelieving and unrepentant world in holy judgment by sending a flood. But in your great mercy, you saved and protected, believing Noah and his family. Lord, you also drowned the obstinate Pharaoh and his whole army in the Red Sea, and you brought your people, Israel, through the sea on dry ground. In these acts, Lord, you revealed the meaning of baptism and the mercies of your covenant in saving your people, who of themselves deserved your condemnation. And so we pray, Lord, that in your infinite mercy, you will graciously look upon this, your child, and bring her into union with your Son, our Jesus, through your Holy Spirit. Lord, may she be buried with Christ into death and be raised with him to walk in newness of life. We pray, Lord, that she would follow Christ day by day. We pray, Lord, that she would not know a single day of rebellion in her life. May she joyfully bear her cross. May she cling to him in true faith, firm hope, and passionate love. Comfort her, Lord, in your grace, so that when she does leave this life and its constant struggle against the power of sin, that she would appear before the judgment seat of Christ, your Son, without fear. We ask all this, Heavenly Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus, who, with you and the Holy Spirit, The one and only God lives and reigns forever. Amen. Joseph and Sabrina, as you've now heard, baptism is given to us by God to seal his covenant to us and to our children. And we must uh, therefore use that sacrament uh, for the purpose that God has given to it, not out of superstition or any such thing. And so for that reason, I'm going to ask you uh, the next three questions that uh, you will affirm um, loudly and clearly uh, before God's people. Do you acknowledge that our children, who are conceived and born in sin and are subject to the misery that sin brings, even the condemnation of God, that they are sanctified in Christ, and so as members of his church ought to be baptized? Right. Amen. Do you also acknowledge that the teaching of the Old and New Testaments uh, summarized in the articles of the Christian faith and taught in this church is the true and complete doctrine of salvation? And do you sincerely promise to do all that you can relying on the power of the Holy Spirit to teach Esther and to have her taught this doctrine of salvation found in the word of God? 
eyes are open. She's got to lock in on me like before. Hey, sweetie. Esther Harumi Sato, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. <laughs> She's loving that. I'll hand her back to you. Just a second. Um, we'd like to have uh, to listen to your pledge of commitment as the congregation of the Lord Jesus, and as a family that already loved this family. So allow me to ask you, beloved, do you, the people of the Lord, promise to receive this child in love and pray for her, help care for her, instruction in the faith, and encourage and sustain her in the fellowship of believers? Praise the Lord. Amen. I'm going to ask uh, Elder Jack Heemstra to lead us in prayer. It's always a tradition. The elders offer a prayer after the sacrament of baptism. So let us bow our heads and ask God's blessing upon this sacrament. Heavenly Father, we ask that your blessings and love surround this child, this little baby, Esther. As she grows, may she grow in her love and faith in you. Place her in an place within her, an inquiring and a discerning heart. As she grows, she may learn to follow you, faithfully trust you, and always be near to you. May she grow in her faith through the work of the Holy Spirit, by the training of her parents and grandparents, by learning the Holy Scriptures the Bible, and through the work of the church, the faithful preaching of the word of God. Make her a true and faithful child of yours. We pray that she serves you faithfully all the days of her life. We pray for guidance and wisdom for her parents, Joe and Sabrina. May the example of their lives, their wise counsel, And their love for you lead Esther to a life of strength, of faith, of love, and of joy. Heavenly Father, we pray that you fill this child's heart with your boundless love and grace. Protect her from all evil of this world and lead her on the narrow path of righteousness to you. We ask this prayer in the name of our Lord and Savior. Amen. Yes. Let me give them a hug first. (laughs) Shall we stand together and sing... Oh God, great Father, Lord and King, I asked Sabrina to select this one for us. Uh, we'll sing all five stanzas, uh, number 192, 192, in the, the red hymnal.
Beloved, would you please uh, join together with me as we continue in our worship in a prayer, congregational prayer. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we praise you with all our heart, for you have exalted your name and your word far above all things. Who is like you, Lord? Whom could ever be compared to you? When we consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, on the moon and the stars, our known universe, and all its celestial bodies, and all the other galaxies, all you have set in place by the word of your power, and all that you keep in place every single day, so that if you were to remove your hand for one instant, it would all fall to pieces, and not a single person could take another breath apart from you, enabling their heart to beat and their lungs to breathe. And you are gracious, Lord, to love and care for your world and everything in it. And we praise you, Lord, for making yourself our God, our Father, in that you poured out your love for us in your Son, our Jesus, whom you sent to save us and make us your own. As he came out of heaven and became like us in every way and spent every day of his life in perfect obedience to your will, Father, loving you with all his heart and loving others with only pure and perfect motives, without ever sinning against you, Father, or anyone else. O Father, that we would always be amazed at Jesus' perfectly righteous life and how he did what is impossible for us to do. And then going to the cross, where he was condemned in our place and received all your wrath against us for our sin, having become sin for us. So that in our Jesus, O Father, washed in his precious blood, dressed in his righteous robes, we are righteous in your sight, forever forgiven, forever free from condemnation, freed from the power of sin, and raised to new life in our Jesus. But Heavenly Father, even though we are free, we often think and act like we are not as if our sinful nature still controls us, still rules over us, even as we try to love you, Lord, we love ourselves more. We worship our own heart's desires. As your word tells us, our desires battle within us. We want something, but don't get it. We kill and covet, but we cannot have what we want. Lord, while we should be need to be sacrificing ourselves for others, we sacrifice others for ourselves. And so we cause all kinds of trouble in our relationships, and we hurt and wound even the ones that we love the most. Father, you know our hearts. Please forgive us. We praise you, Lord, for being gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, You do not treat us as our sins deserve. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is your love for us. As far as the east is from the west, so far have you removed our transgressions from us. And even as a father has compassion on his children, so you have compassion on us. Father, your perfect love makes us confident to come to you tonight, knowing how you are listening and responding to us, your people. We pray, Father, 
Strengthen us in your spirit to be holy as you are holy, to be obedient children. Help us to keep working at putting off the old man of our sin, uh, to keep renewing our minds in your word, in your truth, and to keep putting on true righteousness and holiness. Uh, Be gracious, Lord, to, to let us see how you are changing us, how you're transforming us, making us more and more like your son, our Jesus. Heavenly Father, we pray for our marriages. Humble us, Lord, before our spouses to serve one another in love, to be concerned with each other's needs more than our own. And we pray, uh, please keep us covering one another's faults, mistakes in love. Keep us confessing our sin to each other and forgiving one another as you forgive us. Father, keep us ready to forgive. We pray, Father, for our brothers and sisters who are single and desire to be married. We pray, Father, keep them patient in prayer. Keep them waiting on you to bring uh, that godly man or woman into their lives. And as they wait, help them to practice love in their other relationships, preparing them to love their spouse. We pray, too, Father, for those you have made content to be single. Thank you, Lord, for gifting them in this way to be more fully dedicated to you. Please lead them in putting their gifts to use in their relationships, even in this congregation. And Father, we pray for this congregation, praising you for so many years of your faithful love to your people here. Thank you, Father, for Pastor Barnes and for Grace and their children. We pray, Lord, bless and keep their family growing up together in your truth and love. Bless Pastor Barnes and his ministry of your word in all the forms that it takes in his preaching, teaching, counseling, pastoring. Please keep our brother encouraged in his service to you. We thank you, Father, for the elders here whom you've ordained to love and lead your people. Uh, Please, Father, bless them with your wisdom. Wisdom that comes from above. First of all, pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit impartial and sincere. We pray, Father, keep them serving you together, submitting to one another in love with one heart and mind. And Heavenly Father, we would pray for those among us who are suffering from serious health issues. Strengthen their spirit. Lord, work healing in their body. Pour out your comfort, Lord, to those who have lost loved ones. Comfort them with the resurrection hope of our Lord Jesus. We lift those of us to you, Lord, who are pressed down by the weight of specific trials that you're allowing them to experience. Encourage them to know that you're with them, that you will never leave or forsake them, and that you're working in them to persevere, making them mature and complete in Christ. And that is what you do. And Heavenly Father, for those uh, struggling with sinful habits that they cannot seem to overcome, show them your power. Show them that same power with which you raised Jesus Christ from the grave and seated him at your right hand uh, with all authority over his enemies and also ours. Show them, Lord, and deliver them, we pray. Father, thank you for how you are listening to us tonight in our Lord Jesus. 
and how you are always faithful to listen and to respond to us, working your will in our lives, working in what is good and perfect. Thank you, Father. We pray, Lord, lead us through the rest of our time and worship with you tonight, glorifying your name and growing more in our faith in you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand together with me as we sing a song of preparation to hear God's word? Uh, Hymn number 375. All hail the power of Jesus' name. We will be mainly looking at Paul's letter to the Ephesians in chapter 6 tonight. But before we do that, I invite you to join me in Genesis chapter 17. Stepping into the journey of Abraham.
where the Lord has already called Abraham and Abraham has followed him. And the Lord has made him great and precious promises, uh, especially the promise that he will give him a son. And yet, uh, so many years later, he has not had that son. And God comes to him again and reaffirms his promise in a very special way. Genesis 17, starting in verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me, be blameless. I will confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down. And God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be called Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you are now an alien, I will give you as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Then God said to Abraham, as for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you, from the, for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo, undergo circumcision, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household or bought with money from a foreigner, those who are not your offspring. Whether born in your household or bought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. And now if you would turn with me in the New Testament to Ephesians chapter 6. where Paul in his letter has already really established how we are saved by grace alone and has spent a lot of time already talking about uh, the wonder and the riches of the grace that God has poured out to us in Christ. And at the end of his letter, as he often does, he is now explaining and, uh, how that grace applies to their various relationships in living out their new faith in Christ. Ephesians chapter 6. Verses 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. The word of our God. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, how we praise and thank you for opening your word to us tonight. We thank you for how you are speaking to us and bringing your truth to our hearts and our minds. We pray, Father, open the eyes of our heart that we might know you better. 
and that we might be uh, strengthened in the covenant relationship that you have made with us into all eternity. Father, work in our hearts tonight through your word, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it has been about 23 years since I came before my presbytery out in California to be ordained into the ministry, and I was coming under care of my presbytery, and I had been asked to give my testimony. And so I shared with them uh, how I had grown up in a Presbyterian church, how I had heard the gospel all my life. Uh, I told them that as long as I could remember, I believed that I was a sinner and that Jesus was my Savior and how the Lord had done that work in my life. I also happen to mention that at the age of 14, I said that I became a member of the church. Or in other words, I publicly professed my faith in Christ and began coming to the Lord's Supper. Well, um, after I finished my testimony, one of the brothers approached me and uh, he told me that he had a problem with something that I had said. Uh, He said uh, I was wrong to say that I had become a member of the church the day that I professed my faith. And he said that I was already a member of the church when I was baptized as a baby. Well, at that time, um, I thought he was just being overly critical. You know, some people tend to do that. But uh, afterwards, I've come to realize that he was right. Our children become church members when they're born into our Christian families. Uh, Just by their birth, they earn the right to be loved and treated as members of Christ's church. Is it important to recognize that truth? It absolutely is. Why is that? Because God himself does. God has always included the children of believers in his covenant. He has always loved them as a part of his covenant community. And as God loves them, of course, beloved, so must we. But tonight, uh, our question that we're going to consider is more about how is it? that we should be loving our children? How do we love them as members of Christ's church? And we're going to see from Ephesians 6 and from Genesis 17, uh, three ideas here that we love them. First of all, by baptizing them into the covenant of grace. And we love them then by obligating them to keep that covenant. And then as we're obligating them to love the Lord, of course, we're going to be training them up in the Lord and the ways, his ways of his covenant. We love our children, first of all, as we baptize them, like we baptized little Esther tonight. God is a covenant God. Um, He interacts with man only by way of covenant. In the very beginning, he created Adam and Eve. He put them in the Garden of Eden to care for it. He told them they could enjoy everything except for the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, He told them that he would walk and talk with them and fellowship with them in the garden and be their God so long as they obeyed him. That was his covenant with them. But they failed. When they disobeyed God, they broke their covenant, that agreement with him. And they brought the curse of death on themselves and all of humanity with them. And yet, 
God in his love made them a new covenant, a covenant of grace, of grace. And he promised to send them a savior, as we have in Genesis 3.15, when he said to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And that's where the promise of the Redeemer begins, beloved, all the way back in the garden. But in time, God came to Abraham. He made a covenant with Abraham, calling him to leave his home and everything he knew and follow him. And God promised him in Genesis 12, I will make of you, Abraham, a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Here was Abraham whose wife couldn't have a child. They had no child. And yet he listens to God and believes the promise and follows him. But you see, this covenant wasn't just made with Abraham. If you would, I invite you to keep your finger here in Ephesians 6. Turn with me back to Genesis 17 that we read a couple of minutes ago. In Genesis 17, uh, by this time, 24 years have gone by uh, since God made his promise to Abraham. 24 years. That is an awfully long time to wait. It was hard enough for me to wait just four years before we had our first daughter. And it would have been especially hard for Abraham because God had promised him not just a son, but an entire nation. And so God, in his faithful love, comes to Abraham and reaffirms his promise in a very special way. If you look with me in verse 7, we read, And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. God promised to be his God and the God of his children. Notice, too, how God calls this his everlasting covenant. This is the way it was going to be. As Abraham trusted and obeyed God, so God would bless, protect, and keep Abraham. And along with Abraham, God would bless, protect, and keep his children. And to show that they belonged to him, that they had now become his covenant community, God gave them a sign. Abraham and every male in his household were circumcised. Uh, Verse 10. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. So circumcision became God's visible proof that faithful Abraham and all his household were set apart from the sinful world and belonged to God. It also signified, beloved, That God's promise of salvation belonged to Abraham and to all of his household. That promise belonged to them. Let me be clear, though. We're not saying, by saying that, that every one of his descendants was saved and went to heaven. That's not what we're saying. That's obviously not true. Circumcision itself never saved anyone. Just as today, baptism itself never saves anyone. Abraham believed God and was saved by grace through his faith. And so every one of his descendants who trusted in God for forgiveness and everlasting life 
would be saved. See, God's, God promises eternal life to those who trust in Christ for forgiveness of their sin. That is God's promise. And it is his promise to believers, but also to their children. So this is exactly what the Apostle Peter declares in his sermon at Pentecost, the day of Pentecost, centuries later, in Acts chapter 2. After on that day, after our Lord Jesus was raised from the dead and ascended into heaven, and then he sends out his spirit on those that are gathered together in Jerusalem, Peter is preaching in his sermon, and as the Lord pours out his Holy Spirit, and there are thousands on this day that are coming to Christ to repent of their sin. They're convinced of their sin, and they're being saved. And as they confess their faith in Jesus, they come to the apostles to be baptized. Baptism used water, water, to signify that circum- what circumcision had signified to Abraham. That is, cleansing away the sinner's sin, uh, moving them into God's covenant community. And so when these crowds of new believers start bringing their little children to the apostles, what do the apostles do? Well, maybe it is that, uh, that Peter and the others remembered back to when Uh, People had been bringing their little ones to Jesus to be blessed, you remember? And uh, they had tried to push uh, all those folks away, saying that Jesus was just too busy to be bothered. But then our Savior told them, rebuked them, no, let the little children come to me. For of such is the kingdom of heaven. Of such is the covenant community of God. So that's why in a sermon, Peter on that day declares in verse 39, Acts 2, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. And really he's just echoing there what God had already promised to Abraham centuries before. You and I probably have uh, Christian friends, really good friends, that um, reject the idea of baptizing babies, saying that, you know, God never commands the church to baptize our babies. Uh, they say that the apostles never tell the believers to baptize their children. And you know what? That's very true in the New Testament. You can't really find that explicit command. But beloved, they didn't need to do that. After centuries of circumcising their children as part of God's family. These believers would have expected the church was not just for adult believers. They would have expected to include their children and to have their children be baptized right alongside of them, marking themselves off and their children as belonging to God's household. And so really, for that same reason, tonight we baptized little Esther and we have loved her. In doing so. Because we're praising God for his love for this little girl. How he has placed her in a Christian home that's going to love the Lord Jesus Christ and follow him and and show her his ways. Uh, We are praising the Lord as well for placing her in a body of believers here at Grace where she's also going to learn 
how to follow Christ. And so we're rejoicing in his faithfulness to be Esther's God. And as God includes our children in his covenant, well then, he also expects them to keep their part, to respond to him in obedience and love. But what does that mean for us in the church? What does it mean for us as the parents or members of the church? It means that we obligate our children to love and obey the Lord. You know, there's really a major difference between children in the church and children in the world. Um, we would not expect that uh, Johnny, who lives next door, uh, you know, be able to recite the Ten Commandments. Neither would we expect him to, to want to pray or to open a Bible and want to read it. But you see, our gracious God has already included our children in a relationship with him. He's promised to be their God, and they, like us, are committed to love and obey him. That's why Paul can say what he says in Ephesians 6, verse 1. If you look there together with me, Paul commands the children, Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. So where have you heard this before? Paul's quoting the fifth commandment. The command that was given to Moses' children 3,500 years ago, or thereabouts, is the same one for our children today. Same covenant of grace, same covenant command. And so tonight, I'd really love to speak to the children and take some time with them tonight. I want to tell you that, children, God loves you. He loves you. And he expects you to love him in return. And did you know that he tells you exactly how to love him? Exactly what you can do to, to love Jesus? You love the Lord as you obey your parents. As you obey mom and dad. Now when we talk about obeying your parents, there's really two things that you need to do. First, you need to listen to mom and dad, right? I mean, that makes sense. If I were to tell my son, Isaiah, to take out the garbage, uh, but he's got his headphones on, he's listening to music, he's not going to hear what I say, and he's probably not going to do what I'm telling him to do. The trouble is, many times we don't hear our parents because we don't want to hear them. I mean, our ears are working just fine. It's our heart that doesn't want to listen. Um, maybe your mom says, didn't I tell you to clean your room? And you say, sorry, mom, I didn't hear you. But then, you know, you're all seated around the dinner table at night, you've just finished dinner, and your dad says, we're going to go out for ice cream. Well, you heard that, didn't you? I mean, those hearing problems you might have had just cleared up perfectly. The truth is, children, we all have hearing problems. Uh, we hear what we want to hear. And, and children, sometimes you don't want to hear what your parents are telling you. But mom and dad tell you to obey them because, because they love you. 
They love you. They want you to learn to obey your heavenly Father. But obeying really only starts with listening. Just starts with listening. Many years ago, I was uh, in a park, and I was watching a father with his son. And the father told the boy to come to him, because he was over playing and doing his thing. But he didn't answer. He just kept playing. His father called him again, but he didn't respond. So the third time, he, he raised his voice. He screamed at his son, but still the boy wouldn't come. His father finally threatened him that if he didn't come, he'd have to walk home. And so the little boy finally made his way over to his dad. Now think about that and compare that story uh, with another family, a missionary family in Africa. Uh, Because the little boy in the family was playing in the shade of a tree. And his dad was standing a little ways off from him. And suddenly the man yelled to his son, son, get down and crawl to me. And uh, the boy, right away, got down, slowly crawled on his hands and knees to his dad. And then uh, the father scooped him up and pointed his son to the tree and showed him this giant snake that was coiled up in the branch right above where he had been playing. You see, children, God expects you to obey your parents by doing what they say. Not just by listening, but doing. By doing. But there's more to it than that, even. Even like the Apostle Paul says here. You need to honor your parents. To honor them. Verse 2 in chapter 6. Honor your father and mother. So honor is respect. Uh, While obedience has to do with your actions, honor has to do with the attitude that goes with them. So really, you know, washing the dishes while grumbling to yourself does not honor your parents. Uh, Making excuses does not honor your parents. Arguing with mom and dad does not honor them. But instead, we honor our parents by, by listening, doing what they say, but with a happy heart, with a heart that trusts them. And children, if you obey mom and dad and do as they say, with a happy heart, God promises that you're going to enjoy a good long life. That's what Paul says here in the text, a good long life. And of course, it goes back to the fifth commandment. Doesn't that sound good? You know how that works? As you obey your parents, you're really learning to obey others who are also responsible for you. I mean, all of us have others in authority over us. That's really God's design. Um, They could be our teachers, the police, our bosses where we work, our government, as well as our pastors and elders in the church. God has given them to us for our good, to teach us, protect us, and, and lead us. And as we obey and honor our authorities, God blesses us with peace in our lives. He gives us a good life. That's normally how things work. But God also blesses us with spiritual life. When we obey our parents, we're obeying Jesus. And he's growing us to become more like him. Because Jesus obeyed his Father in heaven. That's the only reason that you and I can be sure that we are going to live in heaven with God forever. 
because the Son of God obeyed his Father. For our salvation, God required his Son to leave heaven behind, and he obeyed. He had to become a little baby born in Bethlehem, and he did. God required Jesus to obey every one of his commands in our place, and he did perfectly. Jesus had to refuse to sin every time that he was tempted, and he did every time. But then Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and there he was. He knew that he had to suffer and die for our sins on a cross, and Jesus was overcome with sorrow so that he was weeping, And there in the garden, he asks his father to make some other way to save us from our sin. But there was no other way. Jesus knew he had to suffer the punishment that we deserve. And so he prayed, not my will, Father, but yours be done. Our Jesus obeyed his father and so saved us from our sin and gave us life everlasting. And children... Every single time you obey your mom and dad, you're becoming more like Jesus. Growing in his grace. And moms and dads, parents, the more we expect our children to obey us, the more we help them to become more like Jesus. And if we expect them to obey the Lord, if we're going to obligate them to to love and obey him, then we need to be raising them up in his ways. Raising them up in the ways of his covenant, covenant of grace. And that's where we finish out tonight in verse 4 of our text, Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is how we love our children. Parents, and especially fathers, have always been responsible to raise their children in the Lord. First, Paul warns us not to provoke our children to anger. Fathers in the first century church needed to hear this warning uh, because in that day and culture, fathers often ruled their families in a harsh way. They had little concern for the well-being of their wives and their children. But the gospel of Christ compelled them to sacrifice themselves in order to love their families. In Christ, they were learning to humble themselves to serve their children. But it's the same for us today, beloved. We too, 20th, 21st century parents, we need to hear Paul tell us not to provoke our kids. I mean, it literally means, uh, provoking them means to make them angry, to exasperate them. So how do we not provoke our children? How do we keep from doing that? Well, We seek their forgiveness when we know that we sin against them, when we know that we hurt them. We seek their forgiveness. That's probably one of the greatest memories that I have of my dad in the way that he loved me. He was willing to admit when he was wrong and seek my forgiveness. We admit our mistakes to them. We're also careful not to compare them with their siblings or with other children. That's a tough one. We guard against favoring one of them over the other. You remember the way that Isaac had favored Esau over Jacob. Or two, beloved, every time that we promise our children something, we need to keep our word and do it, even when it costs us. So they learn what it means, a life of integrity, 
in Jesus. That's really just a short list, right? But already you can see how much we need to depend on the Holy Spirit to help us love our children, to not provoke them. But of course, that's only one part of what Paul's talking about here. In verse 4, Paul calls us to bring them up in discipline and instruction of the Lord. Other versions tell us to raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So if you would let me, just let me share briefly some ways we do this. And just lay them out to you. We teach them the truth of scripture. We teach them God's word. Our children need to learn from us about who is God. About our sin. About Jesus. As well as all the other doctrines of scripture. But at the same time, we also encourage our kids to know God's word for themselves. To listen to his voice as they read through the books of the Bible. Uh, To memorize passages of scripture. uh, To memorize scriptures to help them in their own battles with their own sinful habits. And to learn to to meditate on that scripture throughout the day. To walk with him. We pray for them. We constantly pray for them. We pray for the Lord to give them new hearts so that in his time they'll profess their own faith in Christ. And as they do, we pray for them to be changed more into the image of Jesus, to know him and to love him and to serve him. But as we pray for them, we also pray with them, beloved. We take the time to pull them aside, to know, to listen to them as to what their needs are. And then to bring those needs with them to the Lord in prayer. And even in that way, we're living out our faith in front of them. That's also what we need to do. To model our faith to them. Even as the Apostle Paul told the Philippian church. He said, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. That's what we should be doing as parents. Showing our children by our example. What does it mean to be a child of God? How do we live for him? We also train them to guard their hearts. Proverbs 4, for example, says, Above all else, guard your heart. It's the wellspring of life. Right? Everything we say and do springs from our heart. So we help our children get into the heart. Uh, Not just focus on the outside behaviors. Not just focus on the the fruit, maybe, of their wrong behavior. But to go deeper. To look at fruits of of jealousy or of pride or of envy. And help them to see and then root out those those sins. And and, um, be coming to Christ. And when they sin, when we discipline them so they learn that disobedience bring serious consequences. And as we do, we also encourage them to be involved in the church, in the life and the worship of the church. And in the church, we become responsible, really, for one another's children. To love them as if they were our own. Brothers and sisters, uh, God is calling you to love little Esther. In much the same way, you know, I know that you've already been loving Joseph and Sabrina and their family. 
But if you would, think about this carefully for a moment. God placed Esther into their family. And he has placed their family in this body of Christ and no other. In her baptism, Esther has been set apart from the world to belong to Jesus and to you as the church, as her church. As God gave Esther to Sabrina and Joseph, he's also given her to you. Her spiritual growth and life are also in your hands. Uh, For years to come, you need to be committed to raise her to know and love the Lord Jesus, even as you pledged and promised to do tonight. Uh, Maybe your family will sit beside her family in church every Sunday uh, so that she's going to learn to worship God as she watches you. Or maybe you'll be teaching her in Sunday school. Or maybe you'll be her youth group leader. Maybe you'll be her best friend's mother who's going to have a closer relationship to her than other women in the church. Beloved, we we may not know exactly how God is going to use you in Esther's life, but we know that he will. Because he promises to be our God and the God of our children. May our Lord Jesus bless this precious family. May he bless the congregation as you all continue to grow up together in him. And we commit Esther to the Lord tonight in her baptism. We obligate her to love and obey the Lord. And we commit ourselves to raise her in the ways of our Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, we praise your holy name. Thank you for making us your covenant people. We stand amazed at how you promise to be our God and the God of our children. And Lord, you are always faithful. Please work in us to keep us faithful in our love for the children you have given to us. And we pray, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. Would you sing in response with me? Hymn number 190 from the Psalter Hymnal, Thus saith the mercy of the Lord. And we'll stand together as we sing.
As the ushers are here to take up the offering, would you please uh, turn in your hymnal? We'll sing while we take up the offering. Uh, I belong to Jesus, number 187. Let's pray. Oh, Father, every good and perfect gift comes from you, from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Father, thank you for satisfying our desires with good things and blessing us with all that we have and all the more our eternal inheritance in heaven and Christ that will never perish, spoil, or fade. We pray, Father, bring us now to you with our offerings, with cheerful hearts, with thankful hearts for your amazing grace. In Jesus we pray, amen. Brothers and sisters, receive the blessing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus, both now and forevermore.
Amen.